Right, I'm going to stop recording. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time-poor but enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. Today, I'm joined by an entire leadership team whose school was recently inspected by Ofsted and graded outstanding. I thought this would be a really good opportunity to celebrate your work and to try and demystify the outstanding grade um, by taking a closer look under the hood of an outstanding school, so to speak. But before we begin, would you like to introduce yourselves by telling me who you are and what your role is? Um, hello, I'm Ellen Payton and I'm the head teacher at St George's. Um, I'm Hazel Murphy, assistant head teacher. My responsibility is the curriculum and I also teach part time in year four. Hello, I'm Dawn Arden. I'm assistant head and I have the responsibility for assessment and I also teach in year one, one day a week. I should also mention that today's co-host is Shannon Doherty, who was central in setting up this interview and has worked quite closely with St George's. So it's lovely to have you here too, Shannon. Lovely. So congratulations on your wonderful Ofsted report. It was glowing. I think I I sat and read it over dinner as soon as it came out. And um, I've never read something so positive. It was it was incredible, but I don't think anyone was surprised because we all know what a wonderful school it is. So we're going to go through some different areas and you're going to tell us what you've done. I think as behaviour drives everything else, it makes sense to start there. Behaviour is exemplary. How would you describe the systems you've put in place to make this possible? Well, I think we... The first thing is that when we wrote the behaviour policy, it had um, ev- all our stakeholders were involved in um, discussing and um, talking about and putting in place all the uh, procedures so that we have everybody has that ownership. Um, also, the children as well. Um, and I think it is all about consistency. So everybody modelling the, the same language. Yeah, the, the language is important that all everybody, all staff in the school are using that language, but also we have five simple St George's rules that the children helped us to write that everyone needs to follow. So it's not complicated. Um, the expectations are not complicated. So the children are expected to follow instructions, um, walk calmly around the school, think before they speak and act, be respectful and supportive to everyone and to try their best and they know those rules all, all teachers and staff know the rules so yeah so that works really well in terms of expectations and we refer to them constantly and they're linked very much to being a church of england school we obviously have our school virtues and values and so they are linked very much to our school values and so it's as we kind of repeat those values and discuss those in collective worship continuously and refer to them when we're talking to the children about behaviour that also underpins everything to do with our uh, behaviour policy as well. We did a lot of work with our midday supervisors um, uh, getting them to use the common language and also promoting the culture at St George's we um, and then we add on the, the different rules to those. 
And I think we just like Dawn said, carrying on from there, it is very much about encouraging the children to be in charge of their own of their behaviour, but also, like Dawn just said, about sorting it out themselves. So we always talk to them about ensuring that they discuss it first of all and think about how they can um through discussion sort out any issues and problems we work really hard on relationships in the school so um we had a uh during the pandemic the midday supervisors were assigned to their own classes so that they um could build those relationships with the children and and uh one of our um Part of our vision is, is, that, is that we treat each other with mutual respect and that um, very much feeds into the behaviour policy. I think that's true, actually, isn't it? I think our vision basically sits at the base and is the root of everything we do with regards to behaviour, with regards to the curriculum. So it is very much about children learning to learning about relationships, but learning about supporting each other, working together working as a team the language in our vision is very much about us being a family being a community and I think we continuously use that language all the time when we're teaching but also in collective worships we continuously refer as well to how you treat one another because obviously being a Church of England school we have daily collective worship and so therefore um, SLT members will refer to how we treat each other behavior etc every time we um, run or um, do collective worship and the staff too as well in the classroom we've got a family worker who does a lot of work with them um, around children um having uh, issues at lunch times or maybe you know if they're not feeling particularly great and also our elder and um, staff will work with children if they're having a particularly uh, not having a particularly great time because all behavior is is a communication and we need to find out the root of that so um and we very much have got a policy where we draw a line under things once they've been resolved and we've had our restorative justice we draw a line under it and we move on and every day is a new day at St George's. So we had yeah we started off several years ago with like a green triangle and a red triangle but ultimately the red triangle now has uh, is no longer used and we focus very much on positive behaviour um, and the children love green triangle where they they also can earn house points um so again that's about instilling that kind of community and teamwork and I think when we first with regards to like our behavior policy um and say some children who do struggle um with their feelings or with um you know how they behave in the school we spoke to sort of like behavior experts in order to see what was um, best to be put in place for um so some children who potentially do struggle with their behavior have different sort of like behaviour strategies put in place in order to support them um, and as um, Dawn mentioned with the you know they work then very closely with the family work and inclusion need any time that we have any issues or any concerns we work really closely with parents so straight away if there are any issues uh, the class teacher will always talk to the parents right at the end of the day so you're dealing with that issue there and then so it can be resolved together in partnership so Ultimately, it's also, you know, about a partnership with the parents when we're thinking about behaviour as well, or if there are any issues with behaviour. On the other side of what Ellen is saying, we do um, you know, focus on the power of positive and uh, we have lots of celebrations in the school. So it might be that the children receive a house point, they might get a sticker, they might come and share their work with the head teacher, they might get a postcard home. Um, 
and also we have celebration collective worship so we have fab fridays um bi-weekly where the, where the teachers choose the children and um, to receive an award and it could be because they're either doing really good learning or it could be that they are showing uh, virtues or they've been really helpful um the midday supervisors also get involved in awarding the children uh, awards at lunchtime so we very much wanted it to be seamless after school club use the same behavior policy breakfast club use the same behavior policy we also have celebrations every half term where we're celebrating the children's achievements either through citizenship or it might be through their um, curriculum work that they do so we have lots and lots of positive things for children to work towards and the children um, are very good role models for each other and that's what we're promoting is the children being able to um, support each other and to help each other when somebody's not necessarily making the right choice. And I think recently as well, we have um, one of our quite a few of our staff members do MPQs. And so one of them, one of our staff members is our partial behaviour lead and has been doing a lot of research to do with behaviour as well. And one of the things that we have instigated recently is um, anti-bullying um, ambassadors so we have anti-bullying ambassadors in each um, classroom who then again are out on the playground to making sure that if they see anything where they feel you know they feel that particular children are not maybe you know keeping to our uh, school rules or not behaving appropriately then they will also go up and remind the children as well as to how how to behave in that I think that's through the Diana Award, isn't it? That yeah. we're doing doing that as well, which again gives the children ownership um, and makes them realise that you know they they are the you know fundamental part of our our school as well. That they are the role models as well, and um, supporting their job is also to support everybody else. The older children are really good at supporting the younger children. We've got play leaders who will go and play with the. Um, uh, children at lunch times and we've also got some um, learning mentors who are working with some children who find it particularly challenging in the classrooms so they have, uh, have a soft start to the day where they go and check in um, with the children that they're supporting so it very much is a whole community um, uh, incentive to be able to you know behave exemplary. <laughs> I mean it sounds like it's just you're covering all bases and I think that's probably what schools that struggle with behaviour, that's probably what they're missing, is that midday supervisors before and after school club, every person who, every adult in that school and every child in that school has a role and understands the, the expectations. It's really nice to hear that. So in the report, your curriculum is described as ambitious. What do you think makes your curriculum ambitious? Okay, well, the, the curriculum is, well, Ellen alluded to our school vision earlier on, but there are, and as she said, everything we do in the school does stem from that. But within it, there are three key phrases, flourish and succeed, which all the children at St George's can quote <laughs> to you, uh, lifelong learners and mutual respect. So when we a few years back thought about changing and developing our curriculum that was at the forefront of our minds and, and the vision was written with um in conjunction with all stakeholders as well so it's another thing where we've been really transparent ask people's opinions everyone is aware of it so 
when we stripped everything back, that's where we began with those three phrases. I think what's important to say about our school is that in terms of an ambitious curriculum is that every subject is valued equally and taught each week. So we don't teach, say, in a block. It's if you're teaching art or DT, you'll teach it each week in order to build on those small steps and to embed, you know, the knowledge. And our subject leaders, they all have um, a session out of class each week. It's not just core subject leaders, because, again, that comes back to valuing all subjects equally. Um, and that allows them to really invest in their subject and become experts. So, for example, they're all members of professional associations. They all lead staff meetings, um, conduct learning walks and pupil voices and complete book looks. And they can all do that really confidently because they're given that time. Um, and they've also worked with a senior leadership team as well. Yeah. So because they have that time, when they are leading a staff meeting and they've had that time to invest, that means that staff meetings led by them are high quality and they really support the teachers. Um, it's not just a quick, oh, I've got to do a staff meeting. What shall I do? It's they, they, know, they know some time ahead that the staff meeting is coming up and really consider what is needed in their subject. And so, so they really are experts um, and hopefully they are imparting that knowledge to, to classroom teachers so they can also be experts in, in the subjects. They actually request the staff meetings. We don't tell them you're going to do the staff meeting. Yeah. They come to us and say, I need, a, can I have a staff meeting, please? Because I want to, to talk about this and I want to develop this and I want to train the staff in this particular area. So it's they're motivated. And passionate, aren't and they? Passionate. Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, they know, they also have um, very much involved in our school improvement plan as well. So everything that they are doing within their curriculum is linked very much with the school priorities and what we want to um, what we want to drive on. And I, like we um, stated earlier as well, because they're all part, they the majority of them also doing MPQs. Then they have, you know, they've got that opportunity as well to sort of like discuss with others and learn, you know, and become more experts within their field um, and do a lot of research because they've got time out of class as well for the MPQ times. So that also enriches their curriculum area. And they then cascade that learning in the staff meetings, which then inspires others. And I think, like Hazen said as well, you know, we have incredible high aspirations for our children. So therefore, you know, our curriculum will be ambitious because we want our children to really achieve, reach their full potential and really all every single one of them really flourish and succeed. So therefore, the only way we can do that is, you know, is through the curriculum and make sure. Mm. And I think with the curriculum, we we seek to reflect the demographic of the school, the pupils within it. I think that's key because, you know, equality is also at the heart of what we do. We want the children to see themselves and engage, for, you know, with the learning. So that's really important when we considered what we were actually going to teach is who are our pupils who are our families and seek to reflect that in every way possible that we can and we have a lot of enrichment weeks so for example careers weeks and coming back to Ellen's point earlier about the, the community feel of the school we have really great relationships with parents we've got fantastic parents at St George's we're very fortunate and they will come in um, for careers week for example mm -hmm. we had some fantastic um we had a famous designer coming yeah, in. Famous designer coming in. So Jeff Banks yeah, came Jeff in on our careers, uh, careers day. But I think it's about linking the learning and the purpose of the learning for the children. 
So, you know, all the enrichment weeks and all the learning that the children do in the classroom is purposeful. The children understand why they are learning it because the teachers talk very much about we're doing, you know, we're doing mapping skills because and talk about why and when the children would use it as well. So it's really important for the children to understand. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't stand still. We, we reflect all the time on what we've taught and it, and it will then be revised. So it's not static. It's constantly, constantly moving. Um, I think that's important to say. Yeah, I think we, we definitely kind of reflect, revise and refine our curriculum continuously and have, you know, a lot of discussion in mm -hmm. staff meetings about, you know, whether that's working well, what do we need to do in order to mm -hmm. improve it? And it's key to say that as well, that our curriculum, we do have very high um, aspirations and expectations, but it's the curriculum is accessible to all pupils. That's really key. So, you know, we have this quality first teaching approach and the children will be in the classroom and if they need support, uh, then that will be in place. But essentially all the children have access to this ambitious curriculum. And I think that's a really, that's really important and a key feature of the school. We've also involved our parents in the curriculum as well. So we give do workshops, we do a phonics workshop, we do literacy workshops, how we teach writing, how we teach reading, and also how we teach maths in order to get the parents to be able to support their children at home with their home learning as well. So we're trying to also upskill um, our parents who are really keen um, to be involved. Yeah, and, they're, and as we've said before, you know, it is a strong partnership, so therefore they do come in and support um, the children come in and read come in and support in DT or art lessons um, or on all the um, trips that we do our enrichment trips etc to museums to the library to sort of like local experiences the parents are also on board to support and help we tried to tap into our parents expertise as well so we did have a photography club where a parent was running it and we had somebody who was um, was learning how to um, be a um, yoga teacher or um, flow. Uh, so she was uh, came to us and said, oh, you know, I'm doing this. You know, would I be able to uh, to, to run a club? Um, so we're always trying to look to see what we can do in terms of extending our curriculum offer to the children, either in the classroom or outside of school whatever strength they have or whatever, whatever area of talent they have that they get exposed to that and they have that opportunity and opportunity really to excel. I think there's a culture amongst the team. I mean, we have a great team here, mm. don't we? So yeah. as I said earlier, all the subject leaders are, are passionate about their subject. It would be highly unusual for somebody to not have that passion because it would be so apparent when everyone else is so passionate and that kind of lifts up everybody else. So there's a mm. really really sort of common shared goal in terms of the curriculum that we deliver the best curriculum for these children it's just what they deserve yeah. everybody feels that way and believes that like you speak so highly of your staff being so passionate but i think it's because you've created the conditions where they can be passionate because you are investing in them so i think people will be interested to know how do you go about giving them release time every week because I think that's something that schools battle with. It's very carefully timetabled. <laughs> so we actually have a, we have two members of staff that um, support staff who teach PE. 
So really, that enables them to have their PE sessions. Um, and also we have a member of staff who is um, dedicated to uh, teaching computing. We have a Spanish teacher who comes in. Um, so that's how we manage to cover our PPA and also to allow the teachers to have their um, uh, one hour um, subject needs of time. We also, as um, there's three of us, um, so therefore, if they also need any additional time to do any form of, sort of like pupil voice or monitoring or when they've got specific enrichment weeks coming up or whatever, we will always go and cover their classes as well. Um, of an afternoon, yeah, of an afternoon, whatever, in order to ensure that they get that additional time. Also, our teaching assistants are fabulous as well because they're most of them are um, uh, high-level teaching assistants, so they are also able to to take um, the classes um, if need be. So um, our staff are really highly skilled here. So we really work hard to promote people and if somebody wants to do something um you know if they ask us if they've got a particular area of interest when we're doing their performance management um they can express a, uh, an interest in that and off the back of that we've had we've got people who are speech and language trained we've got people who are ELSA um uh, support staff um EAL so we've got lots of um we We've got lots of people who 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 we have enabled and facilitated for them to actually move forward um, with their with their careers and their learning. So we're very much about not only growing the children, but we also yeah. grow our staff. Definitely. So the report also says that you give careful thought about what pupils need to know. How do you go about this process? And how long did it take you? Because I know that it was a journey rather than something that happened overnight. Yeah, I think it probably started about four years ago. Yeah, yeah. We were using the international primary curriculum at the time and decided to change that. A lot of that, I guess an important thing to say is that a lot of our staff have been here for quite a long period of time, which is lovely. <laughs> and that means we naturally can work quite well together because we know each other so well so so we had a staff meeting where I can give you an example of history where we kind of just said right we're going to start again we are going to write this curriculum as a team of staff what shall we do so obviously we have to start with the national curriculum we made a quick decision that we wanted to teach history in chronological order I know a lot of schools do that but some don't that was just what we decided was what we wanted to do yeah and then we thought about uh, the skills or concepts that were needed um, and then kind of mapped it out on big pieces of paper which year group might teach what and then kind of agreed upon a set of essentials that we would teach so uh, for example I don't know in key stage two the concepts of government for example we'd all say something about democracy or government so quite a lot of the civilizations will have that something about the culture, which is what makes them a civilization, etc. So we thought about these areas that would be covered and then teachers went off and planned their curriculum for the next academic year. We were given time to do that within a staff meeting. So as we said earlier, as the years have passed, that's been refined. The concepts have shrunk. We had quite a few and it became quite confusing for teachers and pupils because we were telling the pupils these are the concepts. So now we only have three in history, which is much easier for the children and for the teachers. So, yeah, so it's been refined over the years and, and we did that for all the subjects. Think about what do we want the children to know and kind of put that in place. 
And then once we've done that, we thought about this idea of a 3D curriculum. So making horizontal, uh, vertical and diagonal links. Because we are a body of predominantly experienced teachers that have worked in different year groups, not entirely, but predominantly, yeah. it does come quite naturally after a while that, for example, if in year six you're teaching a science lesson about the water cycle, you might refer back to something in geography in year three or whatever it is off the top of my head. Sorry, I can't quite remember where it's taught, but, you know, that's where those diagonal links really come in. That then led to... The development of identifying key vocabulary for the foundation subjects in particular so that was the same thing we came together as a staff we had these big pieces of paper out we asked each other what what do you think is really key here you know what words might reoccur which are really important then there have to be you know you know with these tier two words or even tier three sometimes um, so that came back to me and then we looked at where they overlapped. We put them all into a table. Once they were all in a table for all staff to see, it makes it really clear to subject leaders when they're talking to people, this is some words that we would expect children to know and they can ask children about that, but also to newer teachers and to the school and even the established ones, it's really clear where those links are because this word settlement might appear in this year group in history and in another year group in geography so then the teacher can say oh you learned you know you'll know this word from history in year x and so on so the teachers you know we all had ownership over it it wasn't just one person saying oh, i think this is what the key vocabulary should be here's a sheet we work together on it everyone's invested in it mm. Everyone knows where to refer to it. And again, that's something that we've been we've been refining and changing as as the year goes on. So, yeah, so that's some of the careful thoughts about what we did. I think one of the things to know as well that Hazel was just alluded to is that when we started looking at the curriculum, we did it in stages and small chunks. So if you think about the, the, um, the vocabulary development, we actually started off with history and geography. So we did it for history and geography, and then we added the other subjects in because when you think, oh my gosh, we're collecting the, the vocabulary for all of the subject areas, that could appear to be quite overwhelming. So the whole idea that we started with little chunks and then it grew and grew and grew so, so that we've actually got vocabulary for all of the subject areas. And that was one of the things that the Office of Inspector had asked us, particularly for computing. Mm. Do you have uh, the vocabulary for computing, which actually the um, computing leaders actually develop that um, alongside the rest of the staff. So it isn't something that ha happened overnight. As you say, we've been working mm. on our curriculum mm. for for a long time, and actually we weren't able to have a full cycle of our uh, curriculum because we planned it just before the pandemic hit. So obviously there were gaps, and we had to go back and look and see where those were to make sure that the full uh, curriculum cycle was was embedded and we weren't actually able to do that when we first started so we kind of we took one step forward and then had two back and then had to go back mm. again so um it's been, been a, a real journey in terms of developing the curriculum to where it is now and i think that that's the, the main thing is is the only like hazel said it's the ownership everybody had ownership everybody was involved everybody has a really good understanding as to why we've created it this way. 
which makes it that you know more powerful but then like we said earlier but we continually sort of like reflect and refine and sort of like revisit and adapt it all the time as well which I think is really important yeah where we've had a shake up in the staff this last year where we actually moved everybody around so then we've got one experienced member of staff and then um another member of staff who actually hasn't taught in that year group or hasn't taught in that year group for some time the planning and the curriculum is being evolved and changed because as you know Shannon you do have to uh, mold your uh, curriculum to the to the class that you're teaching yeah and the classes you know even in 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 the in the cohorts can be very different the profile and therefore you have to adapt your teaching in order to suit the needs of your children and you also have fresh eyes don't you as well somebody new coming into that particular year group so therefore you know new ideas but also new developments yeah. with you know new resources i mean we didn't use digimaps a few years ago but we now do use digimaps so it's you know we're looking at what's available and actually looking at and you know how that is going to meet the needs of the children mm. i think as well we've had to really look at our literacy checks that we use in class because um, to give an example from year four, so if we're teaching the Romans in history, what could we do in the other subjects to make those horizontal links? So we read a book called Revolt Against the Romans so that everything is joined up and you can refer to one and the other as mm. you're teaching. And that really helps to embed that knowledge with the children and, and, and creates a real buzz and atmosphere in the classroom. So literacy is another area where you can really... Um, look at your curriculum that you're teaching in that year group and see how you can enhance it and make and make those links I think that's really crucial as well we've also tried really hard to adapt our curriculum so that um, it incorporates um, our, our the importance of equalities and we tried really tried hard to kind of break that stereotype of um, you know that old old white men being scientists yeah you know, because that is not 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 a true reflection and also as well, um, Hazel would say about how we've really tried hard to make our curriculum reflect the children that are in our school. Mm-hmm. Again, when we're planning our curriculum, we're just thinking about the demographic of the pupils, essentially, and and what will engage them and that making sure every pupil can see themselves somewhere. Because think, think, that's really important. I think that, like you referred to on the text, it is very much as well about thinking about the text that are going mm-hmm. to appeal to the children as well and interest them. And also quite a few of them like do challenge, like you were saying, like stereotyping and, you know, inequality and gender issues as well, which is really important for the children to learn about and discuss. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate and discussion around stereotypes in the school, I think, especially in key stage two. (laughs) (laughs) They get the girls get very cross if uh, football is only referred to as boys and and so on. So but that's because, you know, that's that's important to discuss, isn't it? That's discussions that happen in the classroom and it is through the text or what we're teaching where those discussions will come up so those are really key anything around the protected characteristics is 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 key in the classroom as well and things that are obviously going on outside yeah, the outside yeah, as well topical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Topical. We're, we're preparing the children for modern day britain aren't mm-hmm. we i just wanted to pick up on what you said about representing and reflecting the the children the, the demographic that you that you have could you say more about what the demographic is and any maybe specific decisions you've made or books you've used where you've gone, that's a text that we need to use because that's going to appeal to these children more? Some of it's around ethnicity. We already worked quite hard on gender, I think, didn't yeah. we? That was always 
something that we considered. Some of it's around ethnicity, but it could be any of the protected characteristics that we need to represent. Say, for example, when you when that was saying before, you know, in scientists, they we so scientists within the science um, curriculum area, mm. they will look at uh, different ethnicities, different scientists from you know across the world, etc. Male and female. Male and female. Um, we've got in the library and in our book corners, we've completely revamped those so that therefore you have a huge cross section of diverse books and books that include children in the demographic from which our children come from. I think the text very much say in literacy would um, focus very much on different ethnicities of in year five you've got a lot to lot to do with um, people coming what's the book that you always oh, the arrival the arrival yeah. but there's other ones as well which address um, yeah we read the boy at the, yeah, the refugees coming yeah. in the book of the book yeah so there's lots of different texts like that plus I think we focus very much on our enrichment weeks focusing you know like say on in science but also in book week mm. you know in different authors coming in but from different ethnicities and different backgrounds and in EYFS they have a lot of parents that come in and talk about their different festivals they read in their own languages yeah, as well. reading their own languages I mean you know with EYFS they address an awful lot because they mold very much their curriculum around you know the children they have in their mm. classroom. Uh, so you briefly touched on EYFS, so we'll move on to that one. Impressive start. What is your EYFS sequence like, and what would you say characterises the experience of these pupils? We have a fantastic EYFS team. That's the first thing to say. Yeah, very experienced. <laughs> yeah, very experienced EYFS leader is incredibly passionate. They are amazing, actually, and they all work together. Very, yeah, they do. And in terms of the sequence, um, it's planned by assessing the children's previous previous knowledge, like any teacher would do. Possibly more challenging in EYFS as they mm. just arrived, and then build on that through um, experiences and play and carefully chosen books and the children's interests. So again, not dissimilar to some of the things we've talked about throughout the rest of the school. Um, so when they join, um, the team talks to them about what makes them special. What does their family look like? Uh, similarities and difference etc and then they plan activities that open up the world um, around them to the children so learn about the planet what lives on the planet and forest school plays a really important part of this so we, we you've been Shannon haven't you we've got a small forest school area but it gives the children an opportunity to learn about the environment and the importance of looking after our planet uh, also the different seasons and um, as we spoke about earlier, because we have families in the school from across the from across the globe, parents will come in and talk to the children about the country of their origin and read to the children in different languages. So they begin to develop an understanding of the whole world that they are part of rather than just this little classroom. And underpinning that is that vocabulary that we talked about earlier. So when we when we prepared our vocabulary sheet, EYFS team were very much part of that so they, their vocabulary is also on there and it's so it's carefully planned and related back to all the staff including the teaching assistants um, who teach the children and in terms of the uh, character uh, sorry what characterizes the experience of the children I think the team feel that the, it, the most important thing is the children feel secure safe and nurtured before any learning can take place so there's a real emphasis like there is throughout the rest of the school in the importance of building 
relationships <laughs> with the children and families and that happens before the children start at school because we conduct home visits and so on and yeah go to the nurseries and the preschools yeah. in order to get to know the children first before they arrive they have a session of stay and play as well don't they? so the parents also get to know each other the environment in the YFS as well has really been created carefully to, put, uh, to develop independence and resilience. So they can go and pick their own fruit. They register themselves. Um, everything is done in mind that they will quickly become independent and sort of fosters a love of learning in there. And um, again, like we spoke about earlier with the rest of the school, the children's interests are valued. Um, and reflected in the play and activities because ultimately that will give them the confidence to succeed. So you, well, Royal you, systematically check what pupils know and understand. What does this look like in the classroom? So um, it starts from the, from the teaching point, as in as every lesson, the teacher will be um, discussing the misconceptions um, and they're considered before they're teaching. So the teacher will have, be planning to address those misconceptions. But even when they're teaching, they'll address those in order um, and question the pupils to address them during the input. Or it might be that they have a mini plenary and they stop and they'll discuss um, where the children's um, thinking is, is not necessarily correct. They use cold calling strategies, so they might ask a question and then ask a child who doesn't necessarily put their hands up. We, but then also may, might have, uh, will have target children who they particularly want to um, uh, ask those questions just to extend that child's thinking. Um, lots of many plenaries are said, um, particularly in maths. There's an increasing level of challenge of the questions once you're aware that the pupils are secure. So you might not necessarily um, just uh, accept the child's first answer. You might ask them another question to probe a bit further to extend their thinking. Then we also have low stakes quizzes. So uh, in order to promote the um, retrieval practice, so lots of think, pair, share uh, questions that you might have picked out the key points from the previous lesson that you want them to do at the beginning of the, of the lesson and feedback. So we're asking the children um, questions just to clarify their understanding all the time. And then of course, we've got the normal assessment cycle where we've got uh, where we uh, where we have our end of unit assessments or we might end of uh, half term assessments. So we're constantly checking the understanding of the children and then making sure that we are we are we are planning um, for uh, the uh, for the next step for the children. And how do you assess understanding and kind of how? how much they've learned in a foundation subject, how does that differ or is it the same across the board? Oh, it's the same across the board. So yeah. we still assess our foundation subject. Subject. So at the very beginning of a, of a unit, we all our um, uh, lessons are based on an overarching big question. Um, and then all the lessons will feed into um, assist, uh, giving the children knowledge and skills to be able to answer that big question. Um, so we might do a mind map at the very beginning to find out what they already know, or we'll have a... Um, a quiz where they uh, have to um, answer a question or they might have multiple choice questions. And then at the end of the unit, we'll then reassess and ask them 
um, that big question again and um, and the children will be able to add more information into um, uh, to answer that question and we'll be looking for the children to be using the um, the vocabulary that we taught them and we're also looking for the children to be addressing all of the key um, uh, questions and all the key points that we wanted to teach them so what you should see in their books is um, the beginning of the, their beginning of unit assessment and their end of unit assessment and you should be able to see that the children have made progress along the way but um that's that continuous assessment as you go from lesson to lesson to lesson right. to find out you know what they can remember from the previous lesson but as we've already discussed we'll always be referring to previous learning in different units or previous learning in other year groups um and across and across the curriculum making those um uh, vertical and diagonal links all the way through the curriculum I think as well in terms of that question, how do you know it's embedded in their long-term memory, which is always tricky. <laughs> um, our um, subject leaders, when they will talk to the pupils, they'll refer back to previous years learning and ask them about that, what do they recall? And um, when I've done that with pupils, they will always recall um, lessons where that the more activity based so for example when i was asking children about history in year three you learn about stone age stone age, stone age. they've been required to physically build uh well, stonehenge stone. as soon as i it doesn't matter if they're in year six now these are the same pupils where if you ask them what they remember um from that long ago they were that's really stuck in their head so a that helps them just to as much to remember the topic that they've yeah. done some something activity based like that but then and then once they remember the topic because of that then this will spark off yeah, other yeah. things that yeah. they then recall so it's kind of important to have somewhere in your unit that kind of a hook yeah or, a hook. Something, or something that really you know not something that is memorable for them practical for them when they're learning something obviously <laughs> I think that's why trips to really trips, important. Say, yeah. You know, going to um, the British Museum and seeing the, um, the artifacts, artifacts yeah. or perhaps having um, a workshop where they handled mm. things, but it always sticks in their memory. Yes. And then, that, and then the rest of the information then just flows once, you, right. once you can remember that activity and things like yeah geography field trips or, or you know, visiting like Scadbury Park or whatever when they're talking about seasons that's then the hook isn't it or something that they then remember which you can then delve further with the learning and the retrieval of the learning. I mean the report reads like the kind of education I would wish for every child to experience. In your opinion what makes it outstanding? I think um, we ask the children for, for that actually rather than us rather than <laughs> us and uh, we said to the children, you know, why do you think our school is outstanding or why do you think the education of, that you're receiving is outstanding? All the children said it's uh, it's the teachers. It's the teachers, that the fact that they bring um, the learning to life, the fact that they adapt the learning to suit, suit our sort of like learning styles, that they think very carefully about the lessons um, and do it in small chunks so it's not, you know, it's not that sort of like complete overload of learning. Um, that the, the teachers are very approachable and kind and caring so therefore they they know that if they um, don't 
understand or you know are struggling with that particular concept or that particular lesson they know that they can sort of like the, the teacher will sit down with them and and go through it again we also you know the they know that they can sort of like the teacher sits with them in groups and so does the teaching assistant so therefore supports them all the time with their learning so ultimately it was about the teaching experience that the children receive and also how that one commented that all the staff are nice and there's many people I can talk to and that kind of come back to our vision again this concept of mutual respect um hopefully that really comes across to the children as well and visitors to our school um that the children have very many adults that they could speak to if they needed to and there's just a nice team feel in the school and everybody works as a community yeah it's a community sort of family type feel and that makes everything so much easier because teaching is a challenging job and um, having the right people around you with the same shared goal, I think, is, is makes the ultimate difference. I also think the fact that we ask the children shows that the children are, are, are at mm. the centre of everything we do. And actually, you know, it's the children that make it outstanding because of what we give to them and the feedback that we get from them just makes it an amazing school to work in. Yeah, I think the, ch the children, yeah, the children know that they are at the centre. And... and I think our families really understand that, you know, the children are at the centre of everything that we do and equally they are more willing to, um, to work with us. So it is a partnership. It is about the whole community. Mm. Sounds wonderful. I guess lastly, what, what's next? How do you kind of maintain the, the quality? What is there anything that you want to work on more? I think we all we there's always areas that we you know continue to work on. I think fundamentally it's still you know it is writing and developing. And um, we focus very much on reading, 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 and all knowing that that will feed into the writing, but writing is is still is there's still a slight suffer of writing from the pandemic. So we continue to work on writing, technical writing, um, and really developing that love of writing as well. But I think, yeah. Yeah, I think, that you, as Ellen said, in the pandemic, um, writing was, was to, in our school anyway, the thing that was affected the most because we managed to teach a lot of online lessons. So if the children attended the online math lessons, they were still getting some, you know, the, the correct math teaching. But it's very hard to teach writing online because you can't. It's very much About in the moment, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, marking at some point in yeah. time and talking to the children about their work. So you were kind of teaching a literacy lesson. Then off go the children. They're kind of on their own. And then that meant that it, you know, the progress stunted and um then there's gaps and it's trying to still plug those gaps and push the technical writing forward and you know I think in terms of our children who you know struggle with writing or struggle just in general it's about building their confidence and their resilience because mm -hmm. I think that's really um you know taking a real hit yeah. and I think you know when your confidence is low and your resilience is low you get get an apathy and then you don't necessarily perform as well so it's about you know small steps it's about building that confidence building that resilience getting the children to have a go and to really you know um kind of really try and experiment and just building that self-esteem again I, I feel is really important 
it's been a really fascinating insight into how you've organized things and how you try and make sure that every pupil is in receipt of the, the highest quality education. All I have to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And to everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.